Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's all stand. Amen. Let's welcome God into this place tonight. Let's just lift up our hands and our voices to Him. Amen. And let Him know that He is welcome here. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God for your presence that we feel already in this house. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We want you, God, to move in this place tonight in a special way. God, speak to us, Lord. Touch our hearts and draw us closer to you. God, let us uh, learn from your word and let us apply your word, God, to our lives. And help us, Jesus, to uh, block out all the noise, God, to have clarity on what you would speak to us from your word tonight. And God, we will give you the glory and praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody else. 
thankful that it's all about Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. We are... Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's all stand. Amen. Let's welcome God into this place tonight. Let's just lift up our hands and our voices to Him. Amen. And let Him know that He is welcome here. Lord Jesus, we thank You, God. For your presence that we feel already in this house, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We want you, God, to move in this place tonight in a special way. God, speak to us, Lord. Touch our hearts and draw us closer to you. God, let us uh, learn from your word and let us apply your word, God, to our lives. And help us, Jesus, to uh, block out all the noise, God, to have clarity on what you would speak to us from your word tonight. And God, we will give you the glory and praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Yeah. 
thankful that it's all about Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. We are glad to be in his house and uh, we get to come together. We, we should never take that for granted. And I know that sometimes you probably get tired of me saying that, but there's a lot of places that we don't, we wouldn't have the liberty that we have together tonight. Amen. And so we should take every advantage that we can. Amen. When we sing, we should sing and realize, hey, this is all about him. Amen. And we're giving him glory. We're giving him honor. Amen. And he is truly worthy. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Amen. Didn't the choir do a great job Sunday? Amen. They've been working hard and, and uh, they really did a good job and we're proud of them. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on that we could find to occupy our time with. Amen. There's a lot of things. I mean, there's unlimited numbers of things. You probably get barraged on a weekly basis of invites of things that you could go to and things that you could do. And uh, one of the best things that you can do is to come together and to worship God together, to study the Word of God together, to pray, to seek God's face together. These are, these, I'm telling you, uh, this, is the best, this is the best way you can spend your time. Amen. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor. I, I really, truly believe that. And we, we've got to take the, the things of God more seriously now than ever before. And uh, we're going to read tonight out of Revelation, and we're going to start talking about the fourth church tonight, uh, Thyatira, and it is the church with corrupted faith. And we're kind of talking about the different aspects of these churches and there's a lot to be considered here, so let's read together, excuse me, if you would, start with Revelation 2, verse 18, and let's go all the way through verse 29. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, uh, 
and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear to hear, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so today we are going to start covering the fourth of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And one of the buzzwords that you hear in our world today is the word toleration. Anybody ever heard the word toleration? You gotta, we've got to be tolerant, right? That is a very popular buzzword. It, is, it has probably become one of the most highly prized goals of personal or self-actualization, and that is uh, you've got the so-called academically and culturally elite saying we must be tolerant of everyone. We're supposed to tolerate, to allow, to include, and to facilitate those who do not necessarily have the same ideas or beliefs that we may have. One of the definite things that we are to stay away from entirely is being judgmental or discerning. If you display any kind of thoughts or beliefs that would push back against any kind of sin, then you're to be treated as an outcast, as a leper, as some ignorant nobody. To even hint at the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved causes you to be looked at as an extremist, a fundamentalist, a radical. For that matter, carnal spin doctors inside and outside of the church are doing their best to help the church be more tolerant. It would make us believe that the church needs to be more inclusive, more pluralistic, more broad-minded to such a degree as the most politically correct person of the world that you would find outside of the church. So I ask you today, what does toleration do for the church? What does toleration do for the church? Think about it. Now, again, I'm not saying that we become hateful, spiteful, mean-spirited people. I'm not saying that we take up arms or that we uh, hold, you know, these, uh, you've heard of these people that, that throw rocks and all kind of stuff through abortion clinic windows and, and, and they go crazy. And I'm not saying that we do that in any way, shape, or form. But to be tolerant, the whole idea of being tolerant is to be accepting of other people's beliefs even though they aren't your own. It's to say that somebody, maybe somebody believes that living with snakes is okay. And they say, 
I'm okay with living with snakes. You ought to live with snakes. And if you don't live with snakes, then you're not being tolerant of my views. How many of you would say, okay, bring them over. I'll have them at my house. Oh, you wouldn't. But that's what this, that's what this generation is basically saying. You've got to be tolerant of this. You've got to be accepting of. You've got to accommodate these things. You know what toleration does for the church? When, when the church is being asked to be tolerant of beliefs that we cannot find in the Bible that are not sanctioned by the Holy Book, then toleration makes us, as a church, it makes us more worldly. Toleration, it makes the church less doctrinal because we can't say some things we need to say now. Toleration makes the church less confident in the scriptures and more confident in popular opinion. Toleration weakens the power of the cross. It leads to the world loving the church. Well, we, want, we, don't, want the church, we don't want the world to hate us. Well, why not? Why not? Jesus said they would. Why would we think it's strange if they don't? Ooh, I, th I just rubbed up against something there. Some of y'all like, I don't want the world hating my church. I don't want it to either. But Jesus said they would. So if they love us and they don't hate us, maybe we're not as much like the early church as we should be. They hated the first century church. So why wouldn't they hate us? Hmm. I'm just going to let that marinate just for just a, just a moment. Because we live in that society that says, well, we just want everybody to love our church and come to our church and think our church is awesome. And we do. But the problem is, they're not going to. The church is never going to fully, the, the world is never going to fully accept the church. Especially a Jesus name baptizing church. Especially a tongue talking Holy Ghost filled church. Amen. Especially a one God Jesus is the way church. What does tolerance do for the church? It causes us to be, be hungry for the things of the world. To, to look like we fit in. We got to wear the right things to fit in. We got to look the part to fit in. We, we've got to do this and do that to fit in. It makes us hungry for the things of the world. It minimizes sin. You've heard me talk about it before, but it makes us mistakers and not sinners. Oh, well, we just made a mistake, and there's, there's grace and mercy for that. I'm going to preach a message here pretty soon. God put on my heart this week. I really, I was not asking for it. I was not looking for it. But as I was reading through the book of Jonah and I read how Nineveh repented, it really struck my heart. What kind of sinner are you? What kind of sinner are you? Well, I know we're all sinners saved by grace, right? But what kind of sinner are you? Are you like, are you like Cain who when confronted, he rebelled? Or are you like David, when confronted, he repented? You know, there are examples all through the scripture when people are called out for being sinners, they either rebelled or they repent. So what kind of sinner are you? When God exposes your sin and sin is brought up in your life, what do you do with it? But see, tolerance in the church causes us to minimize sin. Ah, you know, that's just, that's just their personality. That's just their genetics. 
Tolerance in the church reduces the great call that God has for holiness. We don't really have to be holy in everything anymore. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of the heart. It, you know, it doesn't have to be displayed on the outside. It places an emphasis, tolerance does, on material goals rather than spiritual goals for the church. But there is a very great paradox for those who would be politically and religiously correct. They demand that Christians be tolerant, but yet their intolerance towards Christianity knows no boundaries at all. Have you ever noticed that it's okay to be anything in America but a Christian? Lately, it's the Christians that are the ones who are being called out and singled out for their beliefs. This is why the LGBTQ and whatever other letters they've added now, this agenda that they have lashes out against Christian bakers and florists and photographers who refuse to make wedding cakes, provide flowers, or take pictures of their gatherings where they celebrate their sin. Are you with me so far? You see, those intolerant of Christianity, they want to remove the Ten Commandments from public properties, the the Bible from a variety of public venues, and any expression of Christianity at all from every area of the public square. So you would think that this concept or so-called tolerance is a new thing, but it's really actually as old as the world, as old as humanity, and it's definitely what we find here in the church of Thyatira. They did everything in their power to tolerate the world. The King James Version of the, the Scripture here, Revelation 2.20, it actually uses the word sufferest. Sufferest. It's saying you put up with, you allow, you tolerate Jezebel. Generally, when you see that word suffer in some areas of Scripture, it can, it's, it's almost always be, to be understood as allowed or tolerated. You allowed it. You could have done something about it, but you allowed it, you tolerated it, you put up with it. So this letter, if you look at this letter that's being written here, it's being taken by a messenger back to the angel or the pastor at that church. As with all of these churches, we cannot even begin to underestimate the great responsibility that pastoral ministry has in a local church. It is a high and holy calling and it's not easy to be the spiritual leader of any church because the pastor is responsible for the church. The pastor has the responsibility of proclaiming the truth to the church even while the church is compromising with the world. You know, on first glance, you probably thought, ah, this this church doesn't really have anything to do with our church. They look like they're really bad off. They're messing with Jezebel. The pastor has to declare the word of God to those members who would attempt to subvert others with false teaching and with their lifestyles and with their beliefs and with their snarky comments would try to get others to follow after them instead of after this book. So it is a very weighty thing. This is not an easy series because we deal with some of that head on in this series. This letter is to this church and it starts the second group of messages. We already heard the first three 
Uh, the first three churches were in the first group, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos. Ephesus was a church that was loyal to the Lord but had left its first love. And Pergamos, uh, Smyrna was a church that remained loyal to the Lord despite that love being tested by great temptation and persecution. And Pergamos was a church whose loyalty was lacking in moral passion because they were in, involved in fornication, just letting things go on. All three of these churches were true to the faith and they were fighting against evil. But this letter to Thyatira kicks off the second group of churches. They had a situation that was far more serious and Philadelphia in this group is the lone standout. But the other three, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, had mass defection taking place in their churches. It was not a small number that was indifferent, but the large numbers had yielded to the effects of the false teaching in these three churches. We're going to see basically a progressive worsening rest, the, rest of this, uh, the rest of this series as we track these churches. I want you to notice in Revelation 2 and verse 24 where Thyatira say unto you and to, unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. I want you to notice where he says they had literally sunk to the depths of Satan. Smyrna had faced hostility from the synagogue of Satan, remember? They had unbelieving Jews mixing in with them. And then Pergamos had existed at Satan's seat. They had a Gentile false religion. Uh, they had emperor worship going on. But now Thyatira had drowned in the depths of satanic deception. Here's some things that I think you probably should know about Thyatira. And if you, if you haven't, you can, all, you can look these up yourself. But maybe it'll give you a better understanding. Thyatira... Uh, means unweary of sacrifice, or they were participating in continuous good works. It was founded, uh, the city was founded by one of Alexander the Great's successors, uh, Seleucus. Uh, he was a, it was supposed to be a military outpost. It was named by Alexander the Great in commemoration of the birth of his daughter. It was the smallest of all the cities that we've talked about so far, but it received the longest letter. The Lord had more to say to a compromising church than he did to the other ones. It was this military town. It was built to serve as a decoy to guard the capital city of Pergamos, 40 miles away. An attacking army would capture Thyatira and they would destroy it. But in the process, they would find they were being scouted out by the Roman armies in Pergamos. It gave them time to prepare for the oncoming attack. And so it became an industrial city that contained labor guilds for potters, tanners, bronze workers, and dyers of wool. One portion of their industries made brass armor, and it was exported, and uh, it, it brought much wealth to the city of Thyatira. And if you got a coin in Thyatira, uh, they would have different uh, things, industry, that they did. And one coin that was found from the city of Thyatira by archaeologists shows a blacksmith hammering a soldier's helmet on an anvil. In Thyatira, you would also find the temple to Apollo, the sun god, or son of God, uh, in, this, in their thinking. Only here in Revelation do you read about this. Uh, Lydia, who we read in the book of Acts uh, six, verse four, 16, verse 14, she was a seller of purple. She was a guild member from Thyatira. Their chief trade in Thyatira was wool and the dyeing of wool. The bluish purple dye that is made from Thyatira 
is extremely expensive. And even to this day, the city still exists and it's known for its expensive rugs that are made there. The purple dye in the, 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 the clothing and the rugs came from two sources. The root plant, the root of a plant called the matter root uh, from a small murex shellfish. To get one gram of this valuable dye, 8,500 small shellfish were required. What made it so valuable was the way the dye would embed itself in the wool that was dipped in the solution. These garments were very popular with royalty. And Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar regulated the control of these garments to be only for the ruling class in Rome. Nero would come along and decree that only the emperor had the right to wear blue and purple garments. So Thyatira was an advanced city for its time, and we can see from these characteristics that at the time John sends the letter to them in Thyatira, uh, it is just beginning to settle into a time of great prosperity and advancement in their history. As with these letters, there is a similar pattern that is followed, a description of the Lord and the things that He commends them for and the, the corrections that He desires and then the advice that he gives to do it, and finally, the reward for the overcomers who are there. So let's peel through this together. Verse 18 is talking about the counselor. It's, it's describing God. It says, Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. The Lord uses a reference that's used only once in the book of Revelations. Here, he is the Son of God. He is the risen Christ. When we look back at Revelation 1.13, the Lord is referred to as the Son of Man, which is emphasized, uh, and it emphasizes His humiliation and His flesh. The Lord knows the needs, the trials, and the temptations of His church. But now in this description of Him, He is identified as the Son of God. It is now focused on His deity and his deity allows him to serve as judge. His eyes are described as like a flame of fire. Nothing misses his gaze. He has piercing laser-like eyes. Nothing can be hidden from his eyes. It's not a popular message in our day. But still, it should bear witness to us. The Lord is still a divine judge, and there is nothing in my life or your life that escapes his attention. Just that fact alone, knowing that, ought to keep us in a place of repentance. And it should also deter us from loose living and low commitment and acting like, oh, it's just laissez-faire, nobody cares, God's, God's somewhere way off in the distance, He doesn't even pay attention. He knows, and nothing escapes Him. Amen. And I know some people say, well, I, I don't like to think about God like that. Most of the time it's because we want to do what we want to do. Amen. But God is watching. As you've heard us say before, God is the perfect scorekeeper. Nothing escapes Him. Amen. He knows every thought that I think. He knows the intent of my heart. He knows everything about me. There's nothing hid from Him. And so that ought to bring me into proper alignment with His Word. That ought to bring me into a right relationship with Him that says, I want to be pleasing to you. Pleasing others doesn't matter as much as pleasing you. The higher your view of God, the higher your level of devotion to Him you will have. If you have a low view of God, if God's not very important to you, eh, you'll do what you want to do. 
But the closer you get to God and the more that you see how great He is and how awesome He is, how much He loves you, amen, and how much He wants to give to you and bless you, amen, you will have a closer level of, of devotion to Him. When you read through this, you, you see that describing Jesus at the second coming in great glory and His power and His eyes are a flame of fire. These are all uh, Revelation. You can read these other places, Revelation 19.12 and Daniel 10.6, but that's not all because John goes on and he says he can see his feet that are like fine brass. Punishing feet of judgment that will step down on all the seductive teaching and all the compromise that this church has allowed. His feet will crush the false teachers of compromise. And Jezebel was claiming to be a prophetess. And the Lord would deal sufficiently with Jezebel and with Jezebel's followers. Those feet are like glowing bronze, and it also shows us the purity and the holiness as he tramples out impurity. I believe that in every person, every saint of God, there ought to be a longing for heaven, not necessarily as an escape from hell, but as a place of absolute purity and holiness that will be there. Whenever we are, amen, at his feet, whenever we are in his presence, there will be complete purity. And there are times, amen, that we ought to get weary of the darkness of sin that exists in our world. And we ought to long for purity. We ought to long, amen, for that wholesomeness and righteousness that God alone provides. Amen. And when you read through this, this picture that's described here of the Lord, it should have created a shock, should have created a consternation and fear in the heart of the believers of Thyatira when you compare this appearance to the others that he has in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos. They pale in comparison to the very aggressive picture that you find described at the appearance of Thyatira. I can only begin to wonder, what would the Lord's appearance be described as to this church? What would He appear to our church? If we were to get a letter, somebody said it one, uh, I read it on social media last week, I think it was somebody said, I think if Paul showed up to one of our churches, we would probably get a letter. Well, what kind of a letter would this church get? If God was saying, hey, I know you, what would he say? It's a serious question. I think we ought to give consideration to it because, after all, we are one of the churches of the last days. Let me move forward. Verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. As with all the other places that uh, we, we have seen described, the Lord sees some very positive things here. They're taking place despite all the compromise that's going on. The Lord looks at their works and it falls into four categories with them. Charity, service, faith, and works that are greater now than they were at the first. That's what he describes to them. So love, love was waning in Ephesus, but in Thyatira it was growing. The Lord is aware of what we do for Him when we are showing love toward other people. He said, man, that's growing. That's awesome. That's good. The service, service literally means ministry. They were active in ministry in Thyatira. In, in all that they were doing, the church that, uh, you know, basically churches that fall into that category of becoming social clubs and social settings, they're going to be a, a, held accountable by God. But Thyatira wasn't in that setting. They were ministering to each other. 
So they had love growing. They had service and ministry moving. And then they had faith, and faith had to do with dependability. They were on site. They were plugged into every aspect of the church. You could depend on them to do their job. You didn't have to be constantly calling them, lighting a fire under them, hunting them down. They were getting it done. They were faithful. He also looked at their patience. Perhaps another word that could be used here for patience would be perseverance. They didn't quit after they got started. They were continuing in their work no matter what obstacle they found in front of them. Run your race with patience. Stay at it. Once you start it, don't give it up. Amen. Keep moving. You know, and, and if I could say some things for this church, I would say keep ministering, amen, with and to our students. Keep ministering and serving in the nursery and with King's kids. Keep uh, ministering by showing up to clean the church and being faithful at what you have been called to do. Be faithful in your church attendance. Amen. Persevere and keep paying your tithes and your offerings and giving to missions and, and giving to the greater campaign. Don't stop now. Amen. S- keep praying for revival. Keep praying for our missionaries. Keep praying for our efforts to reach people and reach the lost of our society. Keep at your commitments for personal holiness and becoming more like Jesus every day. And definitely keep helping people who keep falling down. Amen. There's people who need our help. There's people who need us to reach town and pick them up and to give them some, uh, you, you can do this. You got this. I'm going to pray through this with you. Amen. Amen. So when we look at this, he starts addressing their works, which are stronger at the end than they were at the beginning of their conversion. I want you to think about what he is Addressing First of all, this church is a dynamic, vibrant, living church, reaching out to their community, uh, reaching out to their members. They're doing anything that they thought would be helpful. It was full of activity. It was crowded with people. But it was a far cry from what the Lord expected out of them. All this can be summed up by one word that really seemed like it was, it stands out to me and it seemed like it was really bugging the Lord. Inconsistency. They were a good church, but they were inconsistent. W. Mitchell says, There is nothing which does the devil's work half, as, half so well as the unholy life combined with great profession. The complaint that the Lord had would be powerful because of the character that is named. And he, you only hear this character named in certain references, but in this setting, Jezebel is the character named. One of the most wicked women of the Bible. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Zidonians. They were worshipers of Baal, and she infiltrated Israel with immoral, the immoral worship of Baal. And obviously, this was not the same Jezebel that was married to the king of Israel, but it was the spirit of Jezebel that was active in this local church. Spiritual warfare, despite some of its mockers, is very much a matter for the modern church and for our day to contend with. The church in Thyatira was allowing this Jezebel to teach and to lead the people She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. 
Her claim was that God had given her a special gift and the church needed to hear her. You've got to be careful of these kinds of people that think they're God's gift. Well, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's because we don't put up with Jezebel here. We won't put up with Jezebel here. Amen? But I will say that the spirit of Jezebel uh, can, can sneak in and can creep in, amen, in many different scenarios. In Revelation 2.20, John tells the messenger to the church to tell the church, this is what's been observed by the Lord. False teaching, seduction, fornication, and idolatry. This Jezebel was guilty of some terrible spiritual infractions. First of all, the spirit that was in the church was teaching things that were different than the Lord and His Word. I'm just going to slow down just a little bit here because I want you to get this. It's not necessarily a woman. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that says, eh, I know that's what the Bible says, but I think this is okay. This spirit was seducing the Lord's servants by arguing, presenting reasonable debates deceiving, misleading, and beguiling the servants and followers of the Lord. And the church was allowing it. Nobody was saying, hold on, that's not what the Bible says. She was seducing believers to commit fornication, which is actually all manner of immoral, uh, immoral acts. And the Greek word here is porneo. She was seducing believers to take in idols or basically to add on in their life things that were not pleasing to God. Some might wonder, how would this take place in the church? <laughs> I mean, it, it's because of the, the insidiousness of it. She was flying under the radar because she had charisma, she had charm, she had hospitality. L let me just say, whoever this spirit was that was, was working, they were smooth. Everything sounded good. Everything seemed like it was good, but there were some really bad things going on. The nature of her teaching was given in such a way as to deceive. She taught there's no harm in outward conformity to the world as long as inward holiness is maintained. I'm just going to stop there for a second. You can't have inward holiness without having outward holiness. If you have inward holiness, it's going to leak out to the outside. I'm just going to stay right here because there's a lot going on in our world that says we got to look like everybody else. You know, those standards and those, you know, rules and regulations that the apostolic church has had for decades, that they're all outdated. Well, are they? I don't know. Are they? What do you think? Here's the deal. Is it modest? Is it holy? Is it right? Is it getting you closer to God? Or is it leading you further from God? I mean, I'm just saying, can you have inward holiness and keep taking off clothes outwardly? It doesn't make any sense, right? Oh, I'm more holy now than I used to be. I can walk around in my bikini, but, you know, no. No. There's got to be something on the inside of us that says, hey, there's a check in my spirit. This isn't right. Something's, something's got to, uh, you know, 
get into our spirit that says, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to lead other people to Jesus, not to me, not to my figure, not to my personality. Come on, somebody. Not to what I'm looking at. But I want people to see Jesus. Believers, uh, she was teaching them, this, this spirit was teaching, believers didn't have to separate themselves from the world because they wouldn't want to appear snobbish or exclusive. That's, I've dealt with that ever since I became a pastor here. It's like, you know, oh, you, you guys at that church, you think you're better than everybody else. No, we don't. We sure don't. But that doesn't mean we have to look like the world. We, we don't have to, you know, we could still be separate. That's still Bible. The Spirit was convincing people in the church that believers needed to be sensible because you cannot live in a place without having some associations. She wanted them to think that, you know, nobody can win people if they're fanatics. You can't, you can't really, if somebody thinks you're crazy, they're not going to want what you have. Believers, she was teaching, the Spirit was teaching, believers could reach their world if they would just go to social functions and fellowship with them. By encouraging them to do this, they were finding themselves in very compromising situations. Let me see if I can explain. When they were in Thyatira, if, if you think back about the city that it was, they had trade guilds and they had labor unions. And if believers didn't attend these, uh, these, these functions that they had, then they might lose their jobs. And the problem was that all those associated with the guilds and these labor unions were involved in the worship of idols. And so idol worship in that day involved drunkenness and immorality. And this spirit that was in the church was encouraging people, you should be a part of that. You don't want people to think you're better than them. And you, you know, how are you going to reach them? And you need to go be a part of that. So people in the church are being encouraged to go get drunk with their worldly friends. I'm going to refrain from making a lot of modern day connection here. Because I think you can make these on your own. But the Lord was not pleased with this behavior. The, the issues that the, they were partaking in, he gives them this warning. It's a warning to Jezebel. She's going to be cast into a bed of sickness. Literally, God is saying, you want a bed? You want, you want to you know, have this bed for your immorality? I'm going to put you on your, on your deathbed with physical sickness. You, you keep this up. I'm putting you on your deathbed. There, there was a warning to those who had given in to the spirit of seduction and refused to correct her and had started living this lifestyle. If they didn't separate themselves from the world, they were going to suffer great tribulation. There was a warning to the children of Jezebel, which was probably not physical children that the spirit had, but spiritual children who started following and, and promoting these ways that Jezebel, they were going to be killed. And there's a warning that they were going to face judgment because they had compromised with the world and had corrupted the church. No amount of loving or sacrifice or good works can compromise for the tolerance of evil and worldliness in the church. It's with a heavy heart that I go through some of this material because I know of churches and I have friends <coughs> who <coughs> have gone this way. They do all kinds of stuff in the community. They're very active. They're very involved in their local community. <coughs> Excuse me. 
in drives and in, in, in acts of charity. But then you look and, and they look just like the world. They're, they're doing some things and I see them, you know, posting some things and I'm thinking, why? Why? What, what are you giving up just to fit in? So we see that a church crowded with good activity is not always a true church. The active hand of God's grace is in the middle of the chaos of this corrupted church. Look at Revelation 2.22. Revelation 2.22. What does that say? Except they repent. Man, you know what? God is gracious and merciful. Except they repent. God is still granting, even after He calls them out, He's still granting them a space to repent and to turn from their sins. I, I wish that you would just understand, before, be, before we go any further, I, I want you just to get that in your spirit. We can still repent. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're here right now, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've allowed. Amen. We can still repent as long as we are here. Repent, amen, when the Lord calls you to do so. And if we do so, the Lord will save us and deliver us from the coming judgment. Amen? I said it earlier, what kind of sinner are you? Amen? What, what kind of uh, sinner are you? Are you the kind who repents or are you the kind who rebels? Acts 3.19 says, repent and be converted. Acts 8.22, repent of your wickedness. Acts 17.30, all men are commanded to repent. Second Chronicles 7.14 Humble yourselves and turn from your wicked ways. Isaiah 55.7 says Return to the Lord. Ezekiel 18.21 Turn from all of your sins and keep my statutes and do what is lawful and right. That man will live. There's mercy. The Lord wants to give mercy. Amen. He's got mercy to give, but it only comes with repentance. You can't be defiant and rebellious and thumb your nose at God and I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and expect to escape judgment. You're not. When God exposes sin in your life, when He shows you things that need to be taken care of, sometimes it's by you getting into trouble. Sometimes it's just by a prick in your heart while you're hearing the Word or while you're reading through the Word or you're talking to God. Amen. God will expose things. You need to repent and make those things right. Repentance doesn't mean I'm just sorry. It means I'm sorry and I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going back to those things anymore. Amen. Verses 24 and 25, this is the counsel that He gives them. But I say unto you, I say, and unto the rest in thy attire, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put on you none other burden but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. We mentioned this about Pergamos. There is some amazement that there were still true saints that God had in the middle of the most unlikely places. He counsels them to hold fast to the apostolic doctrine. There are pretenders around them. There are people who are giving in and compromising and letting down all around them. And they have actually fallen, and he says it, to the depths of Satan and to the depths of Satan's domain. But God, still in the middle of that, had faithful servants. That phrase, 
He says, which have not known the depths of Satan most likely was a doctrine that taught that some of them could freely engage in the sins of the flesh without harming the spirit of the man. They believed that they could attend these idolatrous feasts and engage in sexual immorality and impurity and that it wasn't going to catch up with them. But the Lord's response is, hey, I'm not going, look, I'm not going to place a burden on them of having to continue in these false teachings and immoral lifestyles that are present within their church. He said, the only thing I'm going to lay on them, they might be the target of malicious ridicule. They might be going through constant enticement from those who are not true saints, he said, but I'm telling them, hold fast. He said, I'm not going to put anything more. I'm not asking them to take territory. I'm just asking them to hold fast. It's not going to be easy to do so. There may be people, amen, that are trying to get them to compromise. He said, but what I want them to do is to get a life and death grip on eternal life. I want them to hold on to the truth and don't sell it. I want them to realize, amen, there's no other power. Outside of the power of God, there's no way, amen, that I'm going to let go of what I've been given. Hallelujah. He said, hold fast till I come. Hold fast. I know there's compromisers all around you. I know people are giving up and telling you, it doesn't take all that, but hold fast till I come. If you hold fast, he gives a wonderful promise, amen, that you will be an overcomer. Verse 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter, and they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Did you hear that? He said to the overcomers. To the overcomers. Look at your neighbors say, are you an overcomer? Amen. For those who overcome and for those who keep his works unto the end, the Lord is going to give them power over the nations. This is a reference to the coming millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the morning star, Jesus. It means that everything the Lord ever had available to him is going to be in our possession. Come on, somebody. When we, when we are ruling and reigning as kings and priests with him, he said, I'm going to give you power over the nations. This power that I've had, I'm going to delegate it to you. I'm going to place it in your path. Amen. And this is what he says, you that overcome. To those of you who choose to overcome. To those of you who say, I've had enough with the secular mindset. I've had enough with worldly things. Amen. I want only what God has for me. I seek after his righteousness and his holiness. I'm not going to compromise or give in in the way that I dress, in the way that I think, in the way that I speak. Amen. In the way that I conduct myself. But I want to be holy because he is holy. I want to be separate and set apart. I don't care who makes fun of me. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to please him. I don't care if I I please anybody else but I want to please my Savior Jesus Christ to those who overcome I know it's not an easy day to overcome amen I know that there's things that are coming down hard and it's not politically correct anymore to overcome but to who overcomes I will give power amen over the nations 
Amen. No matter where we find ourselves as a society, no matter how much we have to deal with the crushing onslaught of the world, we cannot compromise with the world and let it affect the church from within. Amen. I, I don't look, I'm, I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible. But the thing is, there are some things I just can't be politically correct about because it doesn't line up with the word of God. So if I say some things in a service or you hear some things from this, uh, from this platform that are not politically correct, as long as they line up with the Word of God, you just need to get, come on somebody, you just need to get your mindset, hey, we're going to say some things that some people may not like. We may offend a few people, but when Jesus was speaking, they all walked away from him and he looked at the disciples and he said, are you going to go too? And they said, you're the only one that has the words of eternal life. So if they don't line up with this book, amen, it doesn't matter what secular society does. It doesn't matter what our world says or what's politically correct. If God's word says it, let God's word be true and every man else a liar. Amen. We've got to overcome. Man, we cannot compromise. We cannot become a lukewarm church. Amen. I'd, I'd rather have, look, I'm sorry, and I know that this is not preaching tonight, but I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I know that there are things that I've said that some people didn't like, and so they left the church. I understand that. And if I said some hateful things, and, and I just did it out of a bad spirit, then that was wrong of me. But most of the time, people get upset because I say things from the Word of God. I, I've had people tell me, well, I don't agree that you, you, don't, you don't have to speak in tongues. And I said, no, you don't have to. You get to. Amen. Some people say, I don't think you have to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. Yes, you do. I mean, there's no other way. I, I, I've read through this book. I've tried to find another way. There's no other way. But here's the thing. There are going to be people that are going to come and say, I, can't, I, can't, I just can't go to that kind of church. They're hateful. They're mean spirit. No, we're just telling what the word of God says. And the word of God is offensive. It is offensive. When it says that he hates certain things, it's offensive. Right? And so, oh, you guys are just homophobes. No. No, we love homosexual people. We do. We just don't like homosexuality. We, we, we believe that the word of God is accurate when it says he created them male and female. We don't believe that God created us with the ability to choose our gender. And then if I don't like how I was created, I can just have it changed. Like I said, that's what's coming down the pike. They're trying, they're, they're, they're trying to get that to where it's forced upon us and we have to believe it. We have to accept it. We have to be okay. Don't, don't, go, don't call people he's and she's anymore. You know, you have to say them. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to call them, you know, you can't call, if, if they ask, if, they're, if they were born a, a, a Sue, you know, and they want to be called Dave, you have to call them Dave. Okay, but here's the problem. That doesn't change the word of God. He still created us male and female. He still chose. Amen. And when you were born, well, pastor, there are certain people that uh, they're born and they have both uh, parts of anatomy. Well, yeah, and it's, it's very like point one of point, you know, whatever. It's very, very, very minuscule. And I know that there are in those situations, it's even been documented 
The reason for some of those things is because of things that were done during the pregnancy. And then not only that, but there's always a dominant. But anyways, don't, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what I've studied. But they'll tell you that that's the majority. That's not the majority. That's a very, very tiny, tiny minority. But yet, everybody in America has to bow down to that. No. No. And, and, and you know, there are certain things that our culture is never going to accept. We've got to get to the place where we say, God, I, I don't care if the whole world gets mad. I want to please you. Amen. If the whole world doesn't want to accept what you say in your word, I want to still be pleasing to you. I don't want to let any thought patterns or any, you know, that's why the Bible says uh, any, any uh, high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, put it, bringing into captivity. Amen. Why? Because there are so many things that are at war. Amen. In our spiritual world today that are trying to lay hold, they're trying to capture our thought patterns. What do we have to overcome? Seduction. Seduction to be like the world, to look like the world, to act like the world. Fornication. Any, any sexual relations outside of marriage. Immorality. You can go all day on that one. Drunkenness. Idolatry. What is idolatry? Putting anything above God. And all the false teachings of this world. That's what we have to overcome. That's what we have to overcome. And some people say, well, pastor, that's just your job. You're just encouraging us because, you know, that makes for a better church and that makes for, you know, better living for you, yada, yada, yada. Folks, I could make more money doing other things, trust me. I really could. And I'm not saying that to make anybody think that I'm looking. I'm not. But, but I'm just telling you right now, you've you got to be thankful. Whether it's me or somebody else that stands in this pulpit, you've got to be thankful for somebody that gets up and says, hey, sin is sin. Sin is sin. I don't care what the world says. Sin is sin. Amen. We can still repent. That's, the, that's the, what I want to end with today. No matter who you are, if you're watching online tonight, amen, if you're here with us and you've been allowing things and you've been kind of compromising on things in your life or maybe your family, you've been kind of allowing things, amen, you can still repent. God is calling us as a church to repentance today. The Bible is still relevant. Amen. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is still relevant. And doctrine does matter. It does. It, it, there's not many ways to God. There's not many ways uh, to, to, to heaven and eternal life with Jesus Christ. Holiness is still the only way we will see God. Oh, but pastor, you know, that's just a matter. That's, just, that's for everyone to decide for themselves now. That's what somebody told me recently about holiness. They said, you know, in our church, we kind of, you know, our pastor just kind of lets everybody decide that for themselves. Well, you know, I do too, for the most part, but I got to thinking about that. Where does that line stop? I mean, can I walk around naked? I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> it's not a big deal. And is that going to be okay? No. At some point, you have to draw a line and say, well, wait a second. These things are not modest. These things are not pure. These things are not just. They're not holy. We can't do that. We're, we're drawing people further away. Amen. And so I know there's going to be some people that say, well, uh, I think that I can choose those things. You can. You should have personal convictions between you and God. You should. But, but there also need to be some biblical convictions. 
There need to be some biblical convictions that you have that whether, you know, some people say, well, I just don't feel convicted about that. And I say to that, have you read your Bible? If you haven't, you better read your Bible because holiness is still the only way to please God. It's still the only way, amen, that we're going to see God. Sin is still wrong. God's ways are always best. Contrary to what everyone else says. So I wonder if today as we stand, I wonder if there's somebody in here today that you would say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not maybe where I should be yet, but I, I don't want to compromise anymore. I've had enough of compromise. I want to be who God wants me to be. I wonder if before we go anywhere, if we just raise our hands and we would just kind of uh, feel after what we've heard tonight and say, God, if there's any sin, if there's any impurity in me, if there's anything, God, that would keep me from being who you want me to be, God, I pray that you would correct me tonight. I pray, God, that you would bring it to the surface, bring it to my attention. Lord, help me to start putting some traction to those things that I know aren't pleasing you. And God, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to put those things away, to put those in the rear view, God, and Lord, to go after the holiness that you describe and go after, Lord, the righteousness that you promise. And God, to not seek after my own righteousness, but God, to allow you to speak into my life what you are happy with and what you are not happy with the things that are pleasing you the things that don't please you and God that as you deal with me about these things that I would respond I pray God that you would help us not to be a corrupted church help us not to be a corrupted church or a lukewarm church God Lord caught up with being busy and doing ministry and doing great things but Lord uh, to have fallen away from the love that we had for you and for making you happy with our lives and our lifestyles. Help us, God, to come out and be separate. Help us, God, to be okay with being set apart, being different, Lord, and that it's not necessarily a bad thing when we are different from everybody else. But, God, that is how you use to testify, Lord, to everyone around us, your goodness and your mercy, modesty and holiness and righteousness. God, let it be birthed in us again. Oh, God, let us seek after you. God, let our teenagers seek after you with their whole heart. Let our young adults, God, and our young couples, God, Lord, don't let them be seduced by the things that this world offers, by Hollywood's version, God, of what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to be. But God, would you speak into our hearts truth and purity and holiness and righteousness. And God, help us, Lord, to leave the worldly things behind. Help us, God, not to be caught up in the things that are going to pull us away from you. But, Lord, let us go after everything that pleases you in our lives. God, this really matters. This really matters. Lord, in your word, you've given description, God, of what's going to happen to those who put up with compromise and put up with this toleration. And, God, we don't want to be a tolerant and corrupted church. So, God, would you speak to us tonight? Would you lead us closer to you? God, help us to be what you want us to be. Lord, this church is your church. God, we surrender to you. Lead us, God, in the way that you would have us to go. And God, we'll be pleasing to you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the Holy Ghost inside of us that helps us to overcome. God, we can be overcomers because you overcame. The world is going to hate us because they hated you, but we will overcome the world. God, there's no uh, demon, there's no power, there's no principality that can stand against us because we have 
you, God. You are the ultimate power and there's nobody that can stand against you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Help us, God, to take our stand to be who you have called us to be, to be a shining light on the hill in this last day. And God, we will stand for truth and we'll stand for righteousness. We'll stand for purity and for holiness. Uncorrupted. God, we will be the bride without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, ready to receive you when you return. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, God, for the book of Revelation, God, that exposes, Lord, the trials and the tribulations and the things we'll face in the last day. Help us, God, to stand strong and to overcome. And God, we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Amen. Thank you for your diligence to study the Word and to be a part of what is going on. Amen. Even if uh, maybe you're kind of on the fence right now and you're not sure how how far you're going to go with this, I would challenge you just to open up your heart to God and let Him speak to you. Let Him lead you. I'm not trying to force you. I don't want to force you into anything. I don't want you to feel like I'm forcing you into anything, but you've got to have a love for the things of God. Amen. You have to go after this with your whole heart. Tithes and offerings, you can lead them tonight in the back as you go. Um, I'm trying to think. I know um, there was an announcement I needed to make. Registration for junior camp. Make sure you see uh, Sister Tiffany tonight. Kentucky Teen Camp has been canceled. So... Uh, they didn't have enough people registered, so they're not going to be doing that this year. So they will be just going to family camp, camp meeting next week. And uh, those are going to Costa Rica. Your final installment is due Friday on the 1st. And I think we have something to celebrate tonight. A little something to celebrate. Yesterday was Jessica's birthday, and so Josh is making us all eat cake and ice cream next door. So please join us next door tonight. Happy birthday, Jessica. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you over next door, and then we'll see you again.